You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Corinthians 14 is where we will be. And we're just going to, uh, tonight, I just want to give you, tonight, it's different. Um, just to give you some philosophy regarding church services here at Eastside. I think it's a good idea to do this tonight because we're in a new year and I'd love to establish some mindsets and just to kind of keep working towards some of these things that we can practice then as a church family in 2021. And there's an important mindset to be found here in 1 Corinthians 14. And this is the chapter that most people would label as the tongues chapter. And that's a lot of times the label that it gives, that or the label that it gets. And and all, although it deals with tongues, it deals with the matter of tongues in a New Testament church service. I be, I believe it should be really more accurately labeled as the edification chapter. And I hope and we'll see that. But I, I really believe that Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand that the point of gathering as a church family is to edify each other. It's to build each other up, and, and that's what edify means, is to build up. It, he uses the examples of tongues, and he uses the example of prophecy to make his point. But really his point is edification. It's not just about tongues. It's not just about prophecy. It's about how using those illustrations to show us what it looks like when it comes to edification. And so I just would like to read three verses here. Uh, we'll refer to more as we go. But let's go ahead and stand. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll read verses 23 through 25. It says in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14, 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And what you have here in these three verses is a uh, an example, um, what my pastor, I heard him preach this text uh, years ago, Wayne Hardy there in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and he preached it out of this passage, and he laid out the two different church services. He called it a tale of two church services. And uh, I figure that's creative enough, so I'm titling this a tale of two church services. And you say, well, you can't do that. Well, I'm okay with, with plagiarism to some degree. And besides, he stole it from Charles Dickens. So, I mean, both of us are in trouble then, I guess. But a tale of two church services. And I hope it would maybe paint a picture of what I really hope we can find here at Eastside Baptist Church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the, your, your word. I thank you for this truth tonight. I, I pray that you'd help me to convey it. And I pray that you'd help uh, these here, Lord, this, this wonderful church family to be able to receive it in a way that pleases you. And Lord, help us. Lord, I, I know we're, we're missing some tonight too that I, I would love to hear this. I, I pray that you would help us all to hear it and understand it so we can move forward together with, with, a, with a mindset of unity. 
And Lord, I, I love you and I, and I want to do what's right. I think we all do. Help us then, Lord, to be open to the things that you'd have your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Imagine with me that you are watching a large screen and maybe there's a screen behind me and it's big, it's, it covers most of the platform, but it's a split screen. And on one side of the screen, you've got a, one church service going on. On the other side of the screen, you've got another church service going on. And we're just, we're just imagining here that screen number on the left side of the screen, this, we'll call this church service number one. And church service number one looks like verse 23. Let's read that again. It says, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? So imagine then on this side of the screen that a guest walks in and we're watching this service take place and it says all are speaking in tongues, with tongues. And, and I'm not going to explain all of that you know, really in depth tonight. That's not the point. He's, he's using it as an illustration, which we'll talk about. But we'll say they're speaking in different languages that the guests don't understand. And, and this side of the screen, everybody is doing the same. They're speaking with a different tongue all at the same time. And a guest walks into the church service. And as the guest walks into the service and observe what's going on, he assumes... Like it says there at the end of verse 23, uh, he assumes, he says, will they not say that ye are mad? And what that literally means, mad there, it means a little crazy. It means out of their mind. That's, That's what somebody walking in to that setting is thinking. And, and again, this is not me up here as an independent Baptist bashing any other denomination or any practice in any other church. I'm simply giving you what the Bible said. That's, that's the Bible's commentary on that situation. Okay? Now, if the unbelieving guest comes in and he can't understand the tongues, if he can't understand the languages, that guest will assume, according to Paul there, that, that we're mad, that we're kind of a little bit crazy. Well, let's assume then on the other side of the screen, church service number two, on this side, my left, your right, it looks like verses 24 through 25. But if ye all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So church service number two, a guest walks in into the service and it looks like this. The members in the service over here, they're, they're prophesying. They're not speaking in other languages. They are speaking or preaching or teaching in, lang- in a language that the guests can understand. So the response of the guest is different. It says there in verse 24, if all prophesy there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And that word convinced, it, well first it says everyone is doing it, but he says he's convinced of all. The secrets of his heart, verse 25, are made manifest. 
which means that he hears the truth and it, and it pierces his heart like only the word of God can. It pierces his heart. It reveals the secret of his heart. And it says, then falling down on his face, he will worship God. He humbles himself before the God of heaven. And here's his assumption. And it says, he, rep- and he will report that God is in you of a truth. When a, when a church me- or guest walks into a church in, with service number two going on, and there's prophecy, there's truth, clear truth being conveyed, he, the secrets of his heart are manifest. He's convinced of everybody around him. It says that he falls down on his face and worships God, and that he reports that God is in you of a truth. Meaning, what his assumption is, is that he determines that God is real in the people that he's observing. That it's sincere. That it's real. It's genuine. So let's imagine then these two services. And I, I, hopefully you've got the idea. They're, they're happening at the same time. And we have a choice between the two. We've got service number one where a guest walks in and everyone is doing their own thing. And that guest assumes everybody's a little crazy. Over here, you've got service number two, and in this service, you watch, you watch, watch as the guest walks in, and people are prophesying, they're teaching, they're preaching in plain language, they're giving truth plainly, and the guest responds by having his heart convicted, he falls on his face, and he says, God is real in these people. So let me just ask you, um, there's probably then not a person in this room, if we had a choice, which one would we want? Would we want confusion or would we want plain truth? One or two? Which one? Two. Right. Good job. I was hoping you would say two. I don't even need to ask what service you prefer. It's an easy choice, really, because if we have the option of someone saying they're crazy or God is real in those people, I think it's pretty clear which one we want. There's nothing greater that could be said of Eastside Baptist Church than God is in them of a truth. God is real in those people. See, listen, there's no program, there's no facility as great as this is. There's no energy in a service. There's no experience that could compare to that testimony, uh, to that testimony about us. Nothing greater could be spoken about the members of Eastside Baptist Church than God is real. God is genuine. God is sincere in those people. So what's the difference between the two services? Well, I mean, technically speaking, you've got one with tongues and one with prophecy. And I, I know most of us probably understand the difference between, uh, based on the, just the simple explanation I've already given, but tongues, specifically according to verse 4 here in chapter four, 14, it says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. So, so specifically speaking, an unknown tongue, if no, if, if it's, if no one is there to interpret that language, then it's, then it's confusion. And, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about languages. And you say, well, that's not the tongues I'm familiar with. Well, we, let's go back to the original use of, of tongues or, or God's people speaking with tongues in the New Testament. If you go to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, God, the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on the apostles. And as they were preaching, people from different countries were hearing their own languages being spoken. And they were saying, how hear we every man in our own language? This is, this is unbelievable that we can hear this. They were amazed. Some were even mocking and saying, these men are full of new wine. 
which, which, you know, if you think about what happens here at the end of verse 23, somebody walks in, all this confusion going on, and they're thinking, those people are mad. That, but that's New Testament tongues. It's not, it, it's, it's not the modern use of tongues that, that we see all around us these days. New Testament tongues is about God using simple men to preach and translate God's word through the Holy Spirit into other languages so people could understand. Modern tongues are nothing like what the New Testament accounts will point to. It's, it's now gibberish and there's no interpreter the, in modern, the modern tongues movement. Now, whether, whereas prophesying in the Bible, it, that Bible word means teaching. It means reproving or admonishing or comforting. One results in understanding and the other does not. Prophecy results in the hearer understanding. Tongues, especially in an unknown tongue, re- does not result in understanding. It results in confusion. So, Paul, But Paul is not just pointing out the technicalities. He's not just saying um, that, okay, well, prophecy is better than tongues because it's prophecy and not tongues. No, he is actually pointing to something deeper. He's, he's, he's pointing out a bigger difference than just the technicalities. It's not just about what each of them mean. For Paul, it was also about motive. See, for Paul, it wasn't just about tongues and it wasn't just about prophecy. It was about motive. You see, the focus and purpose of tongues and, pro- and prophecy are different. See, the focus, what Paul is pointing out, is the focus is either on yourself or it's on others. See, one focuses on me, tongues. But the other focuses on other people, prophecy. See, Paul's big, big hang-up with tongues is, it was about edification. Look, look again at verse 4, who was edified. That's really the point Paul is making. He says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth who? himself but he that prophesieth edifieth the church so do you see and again those are not my words I, this is not again a denomination bash tonight i'm telling you what paul says about the difference between tongues and prophecy and he says if someone gets up and they speak in an unknown tongue there's not an interpreter it's it's not being understood by ever anybody then he is simply edifying himself Meaning in some ways, what Paul is saying is that he just, in some ways, he's just letting everybody know that he's filled with the Spirit and he's got this language going on, but nobody can understand it. It simply edifies himself. But he says, but somebody who prophesies, somebody who speaks or teaches the truth, and, and, and in these days it would have been different and revelation wasn't closed and and maybe God was working in different ways than what we're used to. Uh, that's fine, that, because that, that God can do that. He certainly did that many times. But the point is that prophecy, though, is not about the person that's giving the prophecy. He says those that prophesy are there to edify the people in the church. And there's a difference between the motives. Do you see the difference? If I'm going to stand up because I know a different language and simply speak a different language and yet nobody in the church service can understand what I'm saying, I'm, what Paul says is I'm edifying myself. But if I stand up and I give truth, clear truth, in a way that everybody can understand it, I'm not edifying myself. My purpose, my motive is to edify or build up the church. Edifying literally means to build a house. So tongues means that you build up yourself while prophecy points to building up other people. You still seeing the difference here? 
So he makes it clear that there's an obvious difference between how profitable tongues are and how profitable a prophecy is. Look at verse 6. It says, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Uh, He makes it clear that he doesn't see the prophet in tongues. If it's not being understood, it's simply edifying the person. But there is great profit in prophesying. Paul makes some pretty serious indictments regarding the practice of tongues here. Um, The prophesier is is what he says in verse 5. Look, it says, I would that ye all spoke with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. He, he's, he basically points out the, that prophecy is greater than the tongues. I would rather that you prophesy. In his own ministry, look down in verse 19. In his own ministry, Paul used prophecy, uh, preferred prophecy over tongues. Verse 19, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now, the primary reason for all this came down to who was edified. Service number one was edifying the people speaking in the tongues. Service number two was edifying the church. I hope we're seeing this tonight, okay? And maybe I'm throwing a lot of information at you tonight. You know, when they walked into the assembly and it, wasn't, and it was about all the individuals, the guest's response was, this is crazy. But when they walk into the service and it's clear that the, the ministry of that service was edifying or building up the people in the pew and, and edifying the, those that are attending, then, then they receive something profitable from that. And when you see the word edify, again, it means to minister to others so that others are built up. Now, I'm going to use an illustration. Again, I know this, again, this is simple and it's different tonight, but I'm going to use an illustration that some people might struggle to accept. And I'm just going to lay it out there. This is a very spiritual statement here. An important CIT is that I love Chick-fil-A. So, best amen of the night. That's really not good. <laughs> people wonder why I love Chick-fil-A so much. I've been a little bit judged by a couple people for my love for Chick-fil-A. First, I believe they do have great food. I believe it's the best fast food chicken, unless Zesto has any chicken on its menu. Then, obviously... <clears throat> but the best fast food chicken outside of Brookings... Um, Chick-fil-A, in my opinion. And I know that one's up for debate, and so we, we could argue about it all night long, that's fine. Second, though, I'm thankful for the stand that they take. See, they don't open on Sundays because they respect the Lord's Day. And, and that ought to bring all of us to at least appreciate Chick-fil-A. And even if there's not much difference in the food quality, which there definitely is, but even if there's not... A great difference in food quality, the fact that they would stand where they do and be criticized how they are for that stated purpose means I know where I'm going to spend my money if I'm going to go get some chicken. Spiritual stuff. Third, it's something you you understand if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A or you know people that have worked at Chick-fil-A, but they have a special process when it comes to how they run their stores. 
It's how they greet you, how each employee uh, speaks to customers and how quickly they work, how efficiently they get their food to you and how pleasant they are. Have you been to Chick-fil-A and you said, thank you? What do they say in return? My pleasure. Every single time, every one of them. There may be some that forget and then they're fired immediately. But most of them, (laughs) most of them, my pleasure. And I really believe that those are the reasons. It's not just food quality. That's part of it. But it's the stand and it's the process. And I believe that's the reason that Chick-fil-A is very, very regularly at the top of the list of America's favorite fast food, even these days. And I've known many young people that work for Chick-fil-A. And I have a good friend. I served on staff with him before in Stillwater. And he owns a Chick-fil-A. And they they have a uniquely high buy-in for the culture that they're trying to develop. In other words, they're not just looking for employees. And, And you've been to places like that where it's obvious that they're just looking for anybody to stand behind the counter. It doesn't really matter, you know, if they're friendly. It doesn't matter if, they, if they're going to be, you know, give you a quality product. It doesn't matter if they're going to make you feel welcome. It doesn't matter if they're going to try to do their best to serve you. They're just looking for somebody to stand there. But when you go to Chick-fil-A, then you find out that, that they have high buy-in for the culture they're trying to develop. And in other words, they're not just looking for employees. They're looking for people to represent their culture. And you've been to places, it's obvious, that people just don't really care what they represent. They're standing there to get through a shift, to get a paycheck, but other places make it clear that its employees have been trained to represent a mindset or to represent a culture. And it matters to every individual who you encounter. And we've got some business owners in this room even here tonight And I think that they would tell you that somebody that comes in that wants to represent uh, the the culture of the company they work for, that's the kind of employee you want. You're not looking for somebody that just comes comes to get a paycheck. If you you went to Chick-fil-A and and the only person, and we're getting one here in the next few months, and I'm excited about that, but when it opens and you go after about four months when you can finally get in the door, which is the way it is, Every new restaurant in Sioux Falls. But if you go, if you go to Chick-fil-A and the only person when you walk in who demonstrates their culture, if you walk in and the only person that demonstrates it is their manager, you would expect that from a manager, wouldn't you? But when you see every employee buying in, that's when it becomes more impressive. That's not just the leadership, it's the, it's the, it's the people that are the front line. They, they, when they respond how, you know, how they should and they dress the way they're supposed to and they smile and they communicate in a certain way and they get your order right and they deal with disgruntled customers how they're supposed to, what's that doing? Well, you know what it's doing is it's convincing you. It's convincing you of the culture and it's not the manager and it's not the owner. It's the first person that you see when you walk in the door. And it's the person standing behind the counter. It's the person that brings you their food. It's the person that talks to you over the, over the intercom. See, folks, I hope you see the relevance to what I'm talking about. A church needs to have a biblical culture that our members buy into to that degree. It shouldn't just be the pastor. It shouldn't just be the leadership It shouldn't just be deacons and trustees and teachers. It should be everyone that's a member at Eastside that buys in to the culture of Eastside. 
And this chapter is really about two mindsets. And it all starts with who a member is focused on. See, it's, it's about who you're mindful of when you come to church. You're either thinking, and I'm going to just, I'm just applying it. So if it comes across harder, I'm not meaning for it to be, but you're either thinking of yourself or you're focusing on the needs of other people. I mean, we've got two church services. Remember, two, tell two church services. We've got church service number one, where people are simply self-focused, edifying themselves, or you've got church service number two, where people are others focused. And when you come in to Eastside Baptist Church, you're either thinking of yourself or you're thinking of other people. Or you're thinking of the guests that may come in, the unbeliever or the unlearned. And it's not just about edification either. I mean, edification is a big part of it. But this chapter is about excelling at edification. Look at verse 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. So it's not just about uh, building up other people. He says, excel at the edifying. He says, this is not just about edifying. This is about edifying the very best that you can. Excelling at edifying. That's the mindset. This is about others, but it's about edifying others the very best you can. Edifying with excellence. This is about how far you're willing to go to edify someone effectively. And you could do it just minimally or you could do it with excellence. That's the point he's making. So what all does this apply to? Well, it applies to everything that takes place in a church service. It definitely applies to praying and singing and saying amen. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. So he's talking about subjects that take place in church. He's talking about praying, not just to do it out of habit, out, out of rote words. And it's amazing how, how we get used to the jargon sometimes when we pray and we say phrases that we've heard and we repeat things so often. You've done that. I've done that before. And what he's saying is you're, that's not the point. We're to pray with, genuine, with a genuine sincerity. Don't pray with your heart. Pray with excellence. He talks about singing. He's talking about music and how music should be done with, with the right spirit and, and excellence. And, and that's what well, we try to do that in our special music here. And, and we, we are trying to do it with excellence. We're not just, we just don't want to stand up here and, and edify. We want those that are involved in special music to do it with excellence. And you say, well, I'm not involved in special music. Well, he's not talking just about special music when he talks about singing. When we come together, everybody sings. So this applies to everybody in the room. You should be involved in the congregational song service at Eastside Baptist Church with excellence. You should say, I'm going to sing to the best of my ability. I'm not just going to let those, those that have strong voices be heard. I'm going to sing out. I'm going to do the very best I can. I'm going to do it with all my heart. Not everybody gets to stand here and do it. Um, but I think there are a lot of people in pews with not great voices that might please the Lord a lot more than people that stand in places like this and do it for self-edification, like we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14. It talks about saying amen. How are they going to say amen if they don't understand? And this should, there should be an environment of response. 
Oh, thank you. I was hoping we get some response on that one. It's not just about my encouragement, although I'm telling you, I can't tell you how much it encourages me when you say amen. It makes a difference to a preacher. Uh, But it's not just about me. If it's true, you should respond. I mean, men especially, be responsive. You talk about convincing people that walk into this room that you're convinced about this truth. If they hear you say amen or they see you be fully engaged and you're I mean, you're responding and you don't have to be really vocal to respond. Although I think we could use some more men that get responsive. But the truth is you're doing your part to convince the people around you that you believe what the preacher's saying. It can happen in preaching. It can happen to the singing and the music. I mean, let's be men be responsive, not just during the service, but after the service. Let's be responsive. It's in singing and teaching doctrine. And he goes, he gives many examples here. And he says, let all things be done unto edifying. Everything done to build up other people. We're looking for church service number two. Every ministry at Eastside has potential to be done in a way that edifies other people. And should not just be about us. So what are the implications here? Well, think through the effect of everything you do in light of a guest. Remember, this is about the response of a guest to the church service. So let's just think about everything we do when we come to church. I mean, from the moment you enter the property. And I would say even before you enter the property, uh, think about the way you drive down Grand Slam as you're coming to church on Sunday mornings. And, you know, some of you, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're late enough, you might step on the gas a little bit. And, and uh, I want to encourage you to be careful driving through the neighborhood. You know, that, we have neighbors, we're trying to be good neighbors, and, you know, not all of our neighbors are very good neighbors to us, based on the evidence on our buses at times and on our building. But let's do our, our best to be a good testimony. Think about it. you're convincing them of something. Remember, we're talking about being convinced of all. The way you drive down Grand Slam to get to church is convincing them of something. The way you pull into the parking lot. Uh, the way, uh, where, do you choo- where you choose to park. I mean, that makes a difference. And, and I don't, I'm not always out there. I usually get here plenty of time and I'm not out there right before. But I, sometimes I wonder how many, how many close spots do we leave near the building for our guests. And if you're healthy and you're capable, I say, you know, park in a place that a guest isn't saying, well, that's a prime spot. Park farther away so that our guests can have a, a, a close place or some of our older folks. And especially when the weather's bad, let's, let's leave the, the close spots open for those that need them. That convinces people of something. How early you arrive. And this is dangerous. I'm getting into dangerous Our arrival time says something about how important this is to us. If you're habitually late, I mean, and I'm going to say this, especially as a leader or a teacher or someone in an elected position, I mean, consider what message that sends to those you're trying to lead. If we're going to be convincing, then then our arrival time it, it's, it convinces people of something. I, I'm thankful on Sunday mornings I come out and it, I don't know what time it is. It's um, at 5.30 in the morning or something and Pam Nelson's van is it's like she's always out there. She gets here so early. I don't know, what time do you normally get here, Miss Pam? 
about 8.15, and you say, well, my alarm's still going off at 8.15. You know, I, you know what that says to me? If, if I was a guest and I saw Miss Pam getting out of her van that early, you know what I'd be convinced of? This matters to Pam Nelson. She's going to go and she's going to teach those middle school girls, and she's going to do it with all her heart. She loves it. This matters to her. She's convincing people of something by the time, just based on how early she arrives to church. Uh, what about, I mean, if you're habitually late, let's just be careful of that. Um, what are you convincing others of? I'm just thinking about your own family. What are you convincing your children of? If, if you have a habit of coming to church late, what, what's, the, what's the meta message, the underlying message that you're sending to your children if you come late to every service? It's, your message is probably, well, you know, that's, it's not that important. You know, would you, would you treat getting to work late the same way that you treat how you get to church? What, what about how convincing you are regarding where you sit? You know, where you sit sends a message. I know not, not everybody can sit up front. We've got people in the back because of health and things. Um, but but I, I do think, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again just because I'm already here, so... You know, I, we, have, we have guests every week on Sunday mornings that are just trying to find a seat anywhere. And, you know, and eventually we'll take the, the every other pew thing out. Um, but usually Sunday mornings I'm looking at a pew open here, a few open here. Usually the deaf ministry has theirs. But there's always pews close to the front. And I just cringe because we've got guests that are, sometimes they're walking to that, from that door to that door to that door. They're just trying to find a place. And I'm thinking if our members would just think, you know, I, I'm not, it's, remember service number two, I'm not edifying myself. This is about other people. So, so I'm going to sit close to the front because I want somebody to have a seat when they walk in and not have to search for it. You know, to me, that is edifying other people is to think about where you sit so that a guest can come and have a place to sit. And if that's, the, that's a continual battle in every church. But I want to encourage you not to be the one. Why don't you take a, just, just decide, we're getting, wherever, every service we come into, even if we don't sit in the same place every time, let's sit toward the front so that if a guest comes in, they're not so uncomfortable about finding a seat that they have to leave. And it's, it really, we, what we need to do is have some men stationed at every door that can help us with that on Sunday mornings because it is, you'd be surprised how many Sunday mornings people are searching for seats and, and especially with every other pew thing we've got going. But honestly, it was going on before that because we sit toward the back and we sit toward the ends of the pews. So even then, it was hard for them to find it. Are we okay? Are y'all, are y'all okay with that? Okay. Family talk tonight. You know, so think through the effect of everything you do in light of somebody that comes in and they're a guest and they're unlearned. So how about the way you greet people? Do you smile? You say, well, I don't smile. I'm from South Dakota. <laughs> so, listen, I get it. But what's more convincing? A, a look of approachability or a look of unfriendliness? And I, I'm not even saying what's natural because... Honestly, I don't know about you, but the, more, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I'm convinced I do a lot of things that don't feel natural to me. Because being like Christ is not natural to me. But if we want people to come in and their impression of our church is friendliness and approachability, 
You know, just to smile. Let me ask you this. I was just talking to, to somebody about this before service. Do you remember people's names when they come in? I mean, I, we were just talking about that again a couple of weeks ago and, and how I'd love it if every member of Eastside Baptist Church, whatever, whatever section you sit in, you take it upon yourself and say, I want to know the name of every person sitting in my section. And you say, well, that's just impossible. I don't think I can do it. It's a, you'd be surprised at how, how easily you can do that. If just every service you take a moment to meet somebody in your section that you don't know. And, and before you talk to anybody else, run back to your Bible and write their name on a sheet of paper. Because you'll forget it just like that if you're not careful. But, but we're, let's work on it. Uh, remember, uh, is the, uh, do we want service one where we're edifying ourselves or do we want service two where we're edifying other people? Tell me which one you picked. Service number two. So is greeting people with a smile and remembering their names, learning their names, is that more service one or service number two? Definitely service number two. Do you take the time to listen when you're talking? Do you take the time to look engaged what kind of attitude do you convey? Do you seem excited that they're here? Uh, when you come into this room, do you, do you talk with other people? Or you, you know, it, It's easy just to kind of sit and plop down and, and be where we're going to be. But listen, I love it. I absolutely love it. There are a few things I love more as a pastor than when I walk in here. We've got groups of people standing around the sanctuary talking to each other. And it just does something because what it, the message that it sends is that we love each other like a family. We're excited to be here and see each other. And it means that this place is a family. It's not just a routine gathering. We haven't just gathered in here because we're going to have a service. No, we want to see each other. And yes, it's about the Lord, but a church, it's also about a church family. It does something for us when, when we greet people that way and when we talk to people and we have those kinds of conversations. So think through everything that you do when you come in. I mean, how you dress is convincing. Or, or it's not. And I know we live in a casual society, but you can see casual anywhere. And, and again, I'm just going to get myself in so much trouble. But, I just, but these are the kinds of things we need to think about. If we're going to not just be any other church. See, what does convincing look like when it comes to what you wear? What does is, what is edification look like? What about excellence? And we don't have a dress code. And I would never implement a dress code except for ministries. We have some because you, everybody, you know, it's a Christian uniform is what it is. If you're serving, you're representing the church. But I'd love for our mentality to be less about maybe what's comfortable and more about what's convincing. You know, how do we convince other people that what we're doing here is different than what we do all week at work? Uh, each of us should ask ourselves, what does this article of clothing say about how much God matters to me? Uh, should there be a difference between what I wear daily and what I wear at church? Should there be a difference between what I wear at work and what I wear here? And should I dress better than or worse than what is required of me at my job? These are just questions I was thinking of. Should I, should I be more or less casual at church than I am everywhere else? And listen, I want you to understand, I don't pretend this is a matter of spirituality. It's not. And people are going to say, well, you're a legalist and you're a Pharisee. No, I'm not a Pharisee. I believe, though, it's a matter of convincing other people. Because think about it. They can go anywhere in our culture and they can see casual. Anywhere. Walmart. I'm just going to start calling it Pajama Mart. 
Because that's the dress code now. Got pajamas, pants, and a mask. You're good. Walk in. No, I don't, this is not a matter of spirituality, but you can see casual anywhere you go, I, I, but, I, and, but you don't see convincing everywhere you go. Uh, when you go to Chick-fil-A, they all wear the same uniform and they, they wear it uh, the right way and, and, and they're, they're representing a culture. So how are we going to convince others that what we're doing here is different than what you're going to see every, everywhere else? Listen, I'm not sure that dressing so casually is convincing a guest that what we're doing is different than what they observe in the rest of culture. How you sing when you enter here, how you respond to the singing, how you listen to preaching. I mean, how we treat our time together. It's, it, this is convincing. And, 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 and what you do when you're in this room is you're either convincing someone that it's genuine or you're confusing them. If your mentality is self-edification, then you do something a certain way. But if your mentality is edification, I'm thinking about other people, then you would do things a different way. And just a challenge to you, the amount of, sometimes the amount of movement in our services by our members, it either convinces people that this matters or it doesn't convince people that this matters. And I know there are times that, that movement has to take place, but... I'm just, again, family talk. In my observation, our members typically leave and return more often than our guests do. Is that more or less convincing than determining to sit, sit through an entire service distraction-free? See, it's not a matter of what I prefer. It's, not a, it's honestly, it is not a matter of distracting me and it's not a it, it is that's not it it's a matter of of everything that we do is convincing somebody of something every move we make I mean and I know there are times where you have to leave and if that's the case then be mindful what would be the most convincing thing in that moment then for you to do probably you know stay in the foyer until the service is over uh, you'd be surprised at how many heads turn when somebody gets up and walks out and I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard. I'm trying to help us to be a deliberate church that is convincing in everything that we do. The way you treat the sanctuary. You know, there may be times that, that we make exceptions, at, like for vacation Bible school or a youth rally. I understand that. But on a weekly basis, let's, just, let's treat this room like the one place it is in the whole world where our church comes together to meet with God. And that's why we have the food and drink signs. And those, those signs were up before I ever got here, in case you think I'm just the mean one. Okay? I think coffee ought to stay out of the room. You know, I, I think it's, it, it just, let's just be mindful of those things. Uh, one spill, and it's a, it's, it represents probably hours of work for somebody to get it up. Let's train our kiddos to look at this room differently. Let's help them be convincing. I want my children to be as convincing about how much this matters as I am convincing about how much this matters. And I'm like, my son right now, he's totally asleep, 100%. He's convincing us of something. <laughs> Didn't even bother him, he's still chewing his gum. Let's, let's help our kids to be convincing. Not to run in, in, around the building and, and careful not to let them roam unsupervised. That's always just a wise thing to do. To be mindful of them up here on the platform. I, we don't allow our children to be on the platform. Yeah, I'd love for this to just kind of be a sacred place. 
Our kiddos can be convincing. You know what? You know what would really stand out in this culture is children who have a deliberate mindset about their their church. Because I don't know that many of them even think about it. Well, Eastside could be the one place people say, have you been there? Have you seen the way those children act at church? You got to go see that. That was convincing. You know, another point, your attention to hospitality, that's convincing. It just Romans 12, 13, I mentioned it last Sunday night, is it says that we ought to be given to hospitality. And in my estimation, a guest ought not to be able to come for more than I would say about two services before being asked to enjoy an, an act of hospitality by a member of Eastside Baptist Church. In that we're building relationships. And it, it's never been more important to build relationships outside of church than it is right now in a culture that's downplaying connections. And by saying they're downplaying connections, personal connections with people. And, and I'd love for Eastside to be the place that when people come, they're going to get asked to go out to eat their first or second Sunday they're here. Or they're going to be asked to come over. And I know COVID is different and things are different. And it's a little, I understand all that. But in a normal time, uh, we ought to be so hospitable that people, are, that, that people don't come for more, more than a couple services before people are like, hey, we want to do something outside of church with us. Come over to, we'll, we'll come over to our house, we'll feed you. Or, or let's go over to Culver's because their dining room's open now, by the way. Didn't know if you knew that. It's open again. But let's be hospitable people. You talk about convincing. What we're doing when we're hospitable is we're convincing them that we're not just interested in them coming and sitting in a pew and putting money in the offering plate. We're interested in having a relationship with them. That matters to people. Look at every ministry through the eyes of a guest. How convincing are you as a teacher when guests drop their children off in your classroom? I mean, are you there early enough to greet them? Are you, are you there with a smile on your face? Are you warm? Are you friendly? That's convincing. And we sometimes just have a few minutes to convince them of our sincerity. And so identify the things that you can do to be convincing in our church services and determine to do them. You say, well, I don't hold a position. You can be convincing. You can be convincing. The way that you respond to the message, the way that you sing the hymns, the way that you smile at people, the way that you greet people, the way that you converse with people, just the look on your face. Paul didn't say that they will be convinced of some. He says they will be convinced of all. Everybody has a responsibility to be involved in the ministry of convincing. And I'll just say this, it's unquestionably harder to have a church this way. The easy way out would be just to let things happen as they will and not to worry about being convincing. It can be exhausting for everything to be thought out and everything to be subjected to excellence, but it's the tale of two church services. And I'm going to go back and ask you the question I asked, which one do you want? See, we're either focused on self or we're focused on others. We're either seeking to edify or we're not. We're either ministering with excellence or we're just simply kind of letting things happen by default. What I would love for us to think is, think of it this way. Is that, you know, we, we have, there's a trend now in, our, in churches, not our church, but in churches now, there's a lot of churches in Sioux Falls that aren't even open. They don't even have doors open. And it's just strictly online, and they're not inviting anybody into the building, and they're, they're just not even open. 
And I'm thankful and I'm kind of proud in a good way that we're open. But you know what I don't want is for a guest to come in here and say, well, yeah, Eastside's open, but, but they're not open. You know what I mean by that? Their doors are open, but their people really aren't. Their doors are open, and they're doing all their services. But I went in there, and, you know, the, and nobody really seemed all that passionate about being there. Now, I'm not saying this is happening. I'm saying this is a scenario I would never want to have happen. I don't want to be open if we're not open. I want people, when they walk in our doors, to say, Eastside is open. And why open? I mean they're open. I walked in, and I was surrounded by people right out here at the doors. And, you know, from six feet away, they all greeted me. But they were so friendly. And they welcomed us, and they smiled. They made us feel like we're part of the the, the team. And and we had somebody escort us from the front lobby all the way to the pew. And they even invited us to sit in their pew with them. And you wouldn't believe it, but when the service was going on and the song service was going on, people actually picked up a hymnal. And they sang with all of their heart these songs that I used to hear when I was a kid and I haven't heard anywhere in a long time. And they sang with all their heart and they sang out and they were into the service. And then when the preacher got up, I mean, it was so bad and yet people acted like it was good. (laughs) They said amen and I was like, what are you listening to? No, people were saying amen. I haven't heard amens in church in a long time. And you wouldn't believe it. I'm just imagining the scenario. You wouldn't believe it when the invitation came and people were praying that God really did a work in their hearts. You got to go back with me because I'm pretty convinced those people are real. You know, every single person has a role to play in convincing. And just, you're, just because you're not on staff and just because you don't have a position and just because you don't teach a class and just because you don't have a role to play at the, as a greeter or a hall monitor and you're not teaching or helping and you're not working the nursery or whatever it is, you have a role in convincing and you can have more to do with somebody saying Eastside Baptist Church is my church than I probably ever could. Because you simply decided I'm not going to make a church service about myself. I'm going to make it about other people. And anytime somebody walks in the door, I'm going to be all about ministering to them, edifying them. You know how few programs we would have to have at Eastside if everybody latched on to this mindset? And again, it's unquestionably harder to operate this way. But if we all just had the mindset of ministering and edifying to other people, and we, then the mindset would be from us, Eastside is open, and I don't just mean our doors, our people are open. We welcome you with open arms. We want you to come and we want you to be blessed and we want you, God to work in you. East side is open. And every church is made up of two different kinds of members. You got those that are helping to convince and those that are hindering the convincing. And I'm just going to ask you tonight, which one do you want to be? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.